0: Episode 82, Aya Schlachter, Mom, Architect, and Entrepreneur.
1: So my favorite mistake is complacency. And let me tell you um, what I mean by complacency.
0: I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. For links, show notes, and more for this episode, go to markgraven.com slash mistake81. Please follow, rate, and review. And if you like the episode, share it with someone on social media. Thanks. Our guest today is Aya Schlachter. Um, Let me tell you a little bit about her to start. She is a mom, a wife, an entrepreneur, a speaker, and she is CEO of MGS Global Group, a built environment, architectural, and graphic design consulting firm serving the creative industry. Her team specializes in architectural support, graphics production support, and design consulting services in retail, residential, and hospitality uh, for leading b- brands. She and her firm of design stores for brands you would know, uh, Coach, Michael Kors, Tori Birch, a number of restaurants. So before I tell you a little bit more about Aya, um, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here.
1: Thanks for having me, Mark.
0: So I'm excited about the conversation um, today, and we we have a lot of things we can talk about. Um, A little bit more about Aya first, beyond the work that she does through MGS Global Group. She also runs a program called Architect My Life. I see where you you came up with that name, right? Yes. (laughs) She helps um, female creative entrepreneurs and CEOs like architects and designers, um, scale their business um, while enjoying more out of life along the way. Um, she has a master's degree in architecture and urban design from Columbia University and a bachelor's degree in architecture from the New Jersey Institute of Technology. And here's one, one other interesting detail. She's completed over a dozen, I'm impressed by this, over a dozen <laughs> triathlons, marathons, yes. and open water swim events. Did, did any of those feel like a mistake?
1: <laughs> Not really. I loved everything. <laughs>
0: Oh, good. That is uh, impressive. I, I I don't do those sorts of endeavors, so um, I'm, I'm glad you enjoy that beyond just surviving them.
1: Yes, it does it good. It, it architects are um, used to monotony, and that's a very monotonous sport. So I think I was cut out for it. <laughs> okay.
0: Um, so I, uh, so we've probably established your favorite mistake is not in your athletic pursuits, but looking <laughs> back at your career and the different things you've done, what would you say is your favorite mistake?
1: So my favorite mistake is complacency. And let me tell you, um, what I mean by complacency. When I first started my business in 2010, I grew immediately within six months. I landed coach as a client and immediately did 300 stores in like 6 months. So I was able to scale that and then got another client years later Michael Kors was able to scale to like 4000 stores. So you know although I worked so much in the beginning like I I created all these processes, all these systems um you know everything was amazing, right? But then I realized that Um, I became complacent because I was, you know, the pipeline was good. The money was good. Mark, I was making like more money per month than I would have made on a yearly income. And that's for one client. So that was when I was living in the Philippines. So I'm like, life is good. I set up systems. Everything's fine. And then we decided to move to the U.S. So I focused taking care of my kids, setting up ho- my house here, finding another, uh, an office space. So my business was actually running an autopilot and I was still raking it, right, every month. Until, I mean, I worked, at, I felt like I was semi-retired at 34. Like I could see all the money coming in. <laughs> so it was great. But then my husband who, who takes care of our finances and payroll, he said, Aya, what are you doing about business development? Because if you don't, um, we're gonna have to lay off people in six months. I'm like, wait, what's going on? Because I was busy like living my life, right? I was complacent. So he said, we've maximized, we've already built so many stores for our clients. I mean, how much more can they build? And this is like six years of raking it. And he's like, if you don't do anything, we're gonna probably have to lay off or shut down the company. And that was like a shocker for me. Yeah, so that was that was my biggest mistake. And I already at this point had a staff of like around 18 people in the team. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that for me was like not good.
0: So there, I mean, I'm glad it's it, it's good that your husband looked down the road a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> at least there wasn't the mistake of both losing track of that or or, or, um, I'm glad your story is not one where you said you became complacent and you did have to shut down the business. So there was at least uh, I mean, I think this is an example of a favorite mistake where early recognition of the mistake prevented a bigger a bigger problem. Right. Can you say a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, so, so my husband, I mean, we, we were operating a mom-and-pop firm. Like I thought it was a small firm with 15 people, but our clients were quite major. Inclu- we've already pivoted to hospitality, but then I'm glad he was there to, you know, um, kind of find my blind spot. So what I needed to do was to stop the bleeding. Um, I needed to lay off a few people, which was not good. And... For the people who remained, I had to cut down their hours. So, But that was only a short-term solution, right, for the problem. Again, I was an accidental entrepreneur. I always say it. When I started my business, I didn't really m- mean to start the business. Opportunities, opportunities came into my lap, and I kind of ran with it. So I never learned how to do business development. That was not part of my DNA. Right. Creatives were taught how to master their craft, but not taught how to run or grow a business. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, and I think that's often true for people who do work like me, people who are solopreneur consultants. There's experience and skill that is marketable. And there's a similar trap where, you know, friends who are solo consultants are always lamenting. For example, I'm curious if you ran across this the balance and the struggle of you're super busy doing work, but yet you need to be selling work at the same time. You you yeah. had a, a firm and a, a team, right? Was, was part of the autopilot you described, kind of relying on that team on the execution of the right. work you'd already sold,
1: right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, so that was the short-term solution. But what I did was, in terms of what I learned, I learned that I was bit amateur businesswoman and you know, I thought I knew everything because I had big clients, but I was not an expert. And that was a major problem. So the first thing I did was to hire a business development consultant. And for creatives, we don't want to spend money. And these people make more than me, right? My business consultant has hourly rates are like, maybe twice or triple my hourly rates. But these are the things that we need to do as entrepreneurs, we need to help or we need help from people who are better at doing things, so we can learn from them. Hmm. Yeah,
0: I've, 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 yeah, I've had a lot of guests who are coaches who have hired a coach for one reason or another. They yes, um, did so. What? What? How did that play out then? Hiring that biz dev consultant was that effective? Was that did that play out the way that you had wanted it to?
1: Yeah, it was very humbling. The first thing he said when he saw my website and I was so proud of my website it looked so pretty superficially and I met him he's like a 60 year old older gentleman from HP you know he's he does really amazing work and I was so proud he's like Aya um, your website sucks <laughs> and so I explained why there was no call to action there were no blogs then it opened my eyes luckily I was open to knowing that I don't know everything. And I was desperate because, you know, I have um, bills to pay. I have payroll. I have a mortgage. I have cars. I have kids. So, you know, I borrowed money and then paid my business development consultant. And he said, don't expect um, results in a month. This is a long-term strategy. So we needed to stretch. So it was the best thing. I learned so much from working with a business consultant or business um, development consultant. Yeah. yeah.
0: And did, so it sounds like, so what I hear you saying is that there, there had been mistakes in setting up the website and there are important lessons there. Cause that's got me thinking of different websites for businesses I'm involved in. It's, it's gotta be more than uh, attractive. It's got to yeah. serve the, 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 the user of the website
1: exactly. in, a, in
0: a way that serves you as the business owner.
1: Yeah. And he just pointed it out flat out. And I was so proud, but then, I humbled myself and listened, and we did a revamp of the website. He's like, your website is pretty, but you don't have testimonials of your major clients. You need to put the logos at the top, right? What do pretty pictures do? People don't have um, their, they only have an attention span of five seconds in the beginning, right? So I learned all these strategies. So that was pretty uh, impressive and you know he taught me content creation i need to blog i need to up my influence in linkedin create all these content i'm like oh wow can i just ask my clients to refer me to other clients <laughs> which also i did but that the first thing was to revamp my online presence and really re you know look at my website so their call to actions so that was the first step that we did among many others great <laughs> right.
0: You mentioned short-term solutions. Were there other longer-term solutions? You talked about sort of the blindness to cash flow, looking down the road. Did you put systems in place to try to help prevent making that mistake again?
1: Yes. What The first thing I did, Mark, was to reassess, and this is my long-term plan now. This is um, like five years later, I'm doing well. Like I mentioned in our last conversation, I never had to lay off a single person in my team during COVID, even though our pipeline was down. So that my first mistake, complacency, was in 2012 or 14, I think. And now I've made it work. So these are my long-term solutions. And I really hope that all entrepreneurs and business people can learn from what I have to say. And you don't have to do what I what I did. The first is to assess your value systems right where do you want to be what do you value the most as an architect do you want to have a you know a firm that a, a legacy firm that you can sell or will it die when you die right are you trying to build an asset or just work on the business and then end it when you retire so what are your value systems and what's the end goal that's the first thing cuz we we can't be just grinding and working and then what? How are we going to retire? And this is the problem with creatives. There's no end game, right? And then um, the second, for me, at least, is my succession plan. I want to sell the business. So what do I need to do to be able to sell the business? So build a good client base, diversify your um, service offerings, add income generating streams, things so it becomes enticing to an investor. By the way, I didn't know any of this back in 2014 so and then i think be, finance became a priority people don't want to talk about money for some reason i don't know mark is that um is that a thing for I think, yeah. I
0: think a lot of times people want to focus on the work and the business around doing the work is difficult right so i've had a guest who was a chiropractor who said like you did i um in chiropractic school, they weren't taught anything about running a practice. And his first one did fail. Yes, before he then learned from that and, and, and did better. I've heard the same thing from um, other other types of doctors from from veterinarians, lawyers, other professionals, where what? there's I think there's the, often the blind spot to running the business around the work. And I think there's this assumption of like, Oh, well, those are just trivial details, you'll figure it out. But that. That's a risky strategy.
1: Yeah, I mean we went I went through like 7 years of architecture school and masters degree, right? Like I want to make sure that I spend maybe a month per year planning my financial future, right? So this is one thing people are, don't want to do that. So what I did was I hired a virtual CFO and I hated showing my books to someone like uh, how much money did i didn't even know how much my marketing costs were like my, i learned how to read a pnl statement my balance sheet this is not what architects were taught <laughs> so that was i finance became a priority and then i met i set financial goals per quarter right but then when you set goals i want to make s- like 50 percent sales you can't just say that you need to create like a a roadmap for that. So I did that, but then have an accountability partner because I can just write that in my notebook. But if I don't have a partner to say, hey, what's going on? How much money did you make? How are you working towards your financial goal? So that's important too. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, it's, it's great that you've, you've got these lessons learned and, and I really do appreciate you sharing those. With the audience, because um, I'm sure people are listening, even if they're not an architect, there is a lot of applicability. There's this need, again, for the balance of um, I've, I've heard somebody. I don't know who to credit for this working in the business versus working on the business.
1: It's um, usually it's, more it's, fun. by I have the book at the back. Yeah, it's like. Oh, yeah yeah
0: yep the emF that's something yes. I read uh, a long time ago and, and and that book you know you talked about the the lessons i I hear the influence Aya, when you talk about um, thinking of of building a business that you can sell as opposed to having a job that you're trapped- like a lot of times a, a company becomes a job that people are trapped in. they can't take vacation the way right. they could have when they were an employee someplace else and and, right. and that's the trap to try one trap to try to avoid i guess.
1: Yeah and and the the problem is entrepreneurs we like we started a business so that we have freedom of time but at the end of the day we don't really have freedom of time we're kind of chained to our laptops and our phones so you know that's why it's really important to spend some time planning your financial future and recently I I just gave a pitch for a talk um at the Young Architects Convention because I want to educate young architects right Growing ups like us, we, we buy car insurance, we buy health insurance, we buy house insurance. But what happens when there's a recession or, an, you know, another pandemic? How are we taking care of our financial future, right, if you're an employee? So this is, like, my thought process now. Helping in my architect, my life, I want to help architects and creatives find alternative sources of income in case that happens,
0: yeah. Well, so thinking of your business, I mean, one thing I was curious about is we're recording this, we're you know, a year into COVID times. Right. And, you know, thinking of the types of businesses you are serving, retail, hospitality, those have, wow, like that, that, it's been a, a bad year with malls shut down and the, the future of in-person retail and dining um, coming into question. Did you th- have to think through in the context of MGS Global Group, um, the need t- to pivot? Like, do you need to go into other sectors or do you just kind of hold out and-, and be in a position where you can wait until things are recovering?
1: Okay, so that's a great question because that was my the, the last advice that I wanted to share. And I think it's the most important one. So what I did was I created a process for finding blind spots. So what did I do by, what do I mean by that? I basically had hired a business and management consultant that I consult with every three months. He's an investor and also he he's an angel investor in the technology space. So why do I do that? So he can find my pivot indicators. He can help me like, hey, Aya, the future is towards... Um, e commerce now, so you maybe you should focus on your e commerce business and, and your graphics, or like there's gonna be electric vehicles all over the the country or the world, so maybe you can focus on redesigning of parking lots so when you have somebody in technology who's not an architect, that person really helps me find my blind spots so i I can stay relevant and people are confused like why do you hire an investor? technology person I'm like because he knows what's going to happen in 10 years and he can make my company relevant so that's that's my my um secret sauce yeah yeah um
0: so I'm, I, I'm curious a little bit um you know thinking of of retail um I had to go on Saturday to uh, an Apple store to get uh, yes. my my MacBook that I'm using yes. here to record this to get that looked at yeah. Um, you know, Apple is often held up as an example of, um, you know, you know a, a retailer with great design. and But I think there's there's a question of effectiveness. And, you know, I think the store designs have – it's funny, the store designs in Apple stores have changed a lot right. over the last 15 years and, and probably for the better. But I'm, I'm curious, Aya, with the work that you do with other retailers – Is there a parallel to the story you told about your website where you might have a store that's pretty but not really usable or a store that looks nice but doesn't really help drive sales? I'm I'm curious what some of your lessons learned are with looking at physical retail.
1: Physical retail. I think physical retail has to do a lot. um, It has to be more experiential, right? The reason why Apple works so well even though some of the design spaces it could be a little bit loud, it it works so well because of the customer experience, right? And that's the most important thing. You can have the nicest looking store, but if customer service sucks, no one's ever gonna go or go to a fancy restaurant. That's a hospitality. It's so pretty, but you go there and it's so loud. You can't hear your you know you can't hear your date or your spouse or your friends because the soundproofing was not addressed. Right, so it's all about the your senses, like your the way it looks, but also your experience when you enter the store. It's not necessarily superficial only. So that's one of the things that um, I think retailers and hospitality people should do, like the entire experience all throughout.
0: And and I think that's an interesting reminder to think about uh, all of your senses. I mean, you know, the Apple store in COVID times, the store can't be very crowded. Yes. So that keeps some of the, but I can think of times before during a busy shopping season or a product launch there, there's energetic and then there's beyond.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes, energetic.
0: yes. There's maybe an optimal noise level, but um, I, when you talk about using your senses, it seems like there's been a trend where um, hotels and retailers have kind of a signature scent, as a way of connecting with people, which is, that's one of our other senses. There,
1: that's absolutely right. Um, every year we go to this hotel in Arizona because we visit our father-in-law, and it smells so good. It feels like home. We've been going for five years, and when I walk into this the lobby, it smells so good. So I asked the the lobby, you know the lady, I'm like. Where can I buy this? It's actually custom-made just for that hotel. And each brand, like the Marriott Arizona, has a different smell from the Marriott um, California. So they customize it. And that really works. But these are the subtle details that designers should really think about. It feels like home. Kind of like real estate people when they're trying to sell a house, they bake cookies. Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right.
0: That's a good point. Yeah, these proprietary scents, so they wouldn't sell it to you. They're like, no, we're not equipped they to do did, that. Or,
1: it was in the spa. They sold it, but I can't find it in Amazon. Yeah,
0: they don't make it <laughs> yeah. easier. But,
1: yeah, but I mean, it, how did you know about this, Mark?
0: Um, I think just from reading in the business press. But I, I have another um, experience when uh, I lived in San Antonio. The condo building that we're in actually had a signature scent that right. they would spray around the lobby or after cleaning. And uh, they they weren't selling it. But after we moved, I managed to get gifted a bottle of it. And we still have some. We don't use it very often. But even in our new home now, to spray that scent, it's it's funny how there's that connection to place. Like It brings back fond memories of,
1: of really, people
0: in that place when we smell it now.
1: It really does. So every year we go to um, Arizona, right? But this year we didn't. So my husband, it was my birthday in November. He said, what do you want for your birthday? I'm like, can you just get me those scented sticks? Because since we can't go to Arizona, can you just buy it for me? So, yeah, I have the scented candles. I feel like I'm in the desert, but I'm in Ohio. (laughs)
0: Yeah. 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 No, we're not traveling right now. But in in my mind, another uh, connection with scent to me is the Bellagio Hotel in Las Vegas. For one, there are... A ton of fresh flowers, but I think they also have a scent yes. that they pump in. Yes. So I can almost kind of close my eyes. And I was about to say picture that, but that's not the right word to use for my nose.
1: That is so <laughs> like, interesting that you're so sensitive. Other people will look at me like, what? What is she talking about? <laughs> yeah. Well, no. maybe
0: it's, it's subtle and it, it, yeah. it's effective in a way that doesn't hit people over the head. So maybe that's yes. another good example of effective design. Yes. So I want to talk a little bit about, you know, some of the work that you do with other uh, professionals, architects, and otherwise. Um, and, you know, okay. I has a program called Architect My Life. And one thing I wanted to explore a little bit is how you focus on women and, um, are, you know, particular challenges, let's say, from you and in, in your career being a woman and, and what's often a male. Is it fair to say architecture is a yes. male-driven industry?
1: Yes, so I created this group because over COVID, I was looking at some Facebook groups in the Women in Architecture and Mothers in Architecture and everyone was struggling, right? I mean, including myself. But most of them were struggling on how to get business. I mean, living and working at home, they hate their jobs, they hate their kids, they hate their spouses. I mean, that was early COVID. And a lot of them were like, how do I find new work? So I decided to create a business or not a business but a coaching program or maybe online digital courses to help women number 1 level up the playing field right how do you get bigger clients they can do what my business development told me to do upgrade your website if you want to play with the big guns your website has to look really good right so issues like how to level up the playing field how to get the bigger and bigger and larger clients and contracts so those are the things. And number three, mother's guilt. That's major, Mark. A lot of people have mother's guilt because I was working so much back then. I also felt really guilty, but my husband was very supportive. But some people around me were not. They were like, why are you traveling so much? Like the older, you know, aunts and uncles, they I won't mention names, but, you know, it's okay to be the breadwinner. It's okay to to work a lot, Right. As long as you have a support system, so that's a big thing. Mother's guilt, number four, burnout. Like, how do you prevent burnout? Right. So a lot of mother issues, and also like how a lot of women try to dim their light or underplay their success. You know, like
0: say, I'm sorry, uh, sorry, (laughs) it's a mistake on my part as an interviewer. I was going to ask you to say more about that, and in the process, I cut you off. So
1: no, no, not a problem. Yeah.
0: What does that mean to dim their light?
1: So when, um, when I first started, see as a woman and and I'm Asian, I, when I meet like some of my friends in, in, in Cleveland, right. They're Filipinos. A lot of them are nurses. Sometimes I don't want to tell them what I do because I don't want them to feel intimidated by what I do. Like I travel so much because I, when I moved here, I was new in, in this town and, my friends didn't know the capacity that I was working at. And I have a funny story. When I told my friends that I got the McDonald's account, they thought I worked in McDonald's, like, <laughs> literally serving burgers. <laughs> but, but so I'm trying to dim my light and underplay my success, especially when I'm hanging out with different people, right? So yeah. it's I don't know if it's a female or woman thing. It's probably, would you consider... I mean, have you ever had that experience when you're with peers that were not as successful and you had to like tone down your success?
0: Um, I, that's a good question. Um, I, I, I think in a way, um, sometimes people, like here's one thing I've run across. This is different. Um, I've, I've run across where, where people assume I'm super busy, even if that's like in terms of business, even right. if that's not the case. So right. I think sometimes that people don't reach out. They're like, oh, well, I would have talked to you about this opportunity, but I assume you must be so busy. I'm like, oh, oh. unfortunately. And I don't think I'm out there overstating right. success, but it's just interesting one way or another when people make assumptions that um, the, those assumptions are often incorrect.
1: Right. So that, that that's what I mean by dimming the light. And a lot of right now, a lot more women are making more money than their husbands and that's okay. A lot of husbands would rather stay home. And that's okay, too. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes women still have an issue with making more than their husbands and, um, you know, the male ego and all that. But, I mean, I have a lot of friends who are dads who are just happy to be home. And I'm jealous sometimes. Like, yeah, they're running triathlons, taking care of their baby while I'm working, like, 18-hour days. <laughs> like that was before. But, Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it just goes to show there's no single model that works for uh, a couple or a family. Yeah. But the societal pressures and norms um, do sometimes bump up against what people are doing. And I guess that's for everyone to decide to say, hey, do do I care what society thinks about? You know, it's my my life and uh, we've got something that works. um, But I'm
1: also Asian and a Filipino and in our culture. It's not good to, women are supposed, well, the traditional women are supposed to serve and like, you know, be, it's kind of weird and we're supposed to be really very modest. We can't really talk or brag about ourselves. It's not, I think it's an Asian thing too. Like the Japanese are always like bowing, you know, it's, it's cultural or the Thai culture. We we don't want to brag about our, our accomplishments. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah. yeah.
0: So there's a lot that you've had to navigate, and I'm sure a lot of this has this this you know this might be the first generation um, where where you and other Filipino women are uh, breaking into new areas. Is that?
1: Um, I a lot of my friends or colleagues from college or grad school, we have the same you know like level of success. A lot of them, but when you go outside of your you know your college group or your peers and you start socializing with like some mothers in the group then that's when I start to shut down and I'm just like yeah right yeah it's funny one time Marcus I work now my office is in the Philippines so my kids don't see me go to work right when we first moved here they had to talk about what their parents did and my kids were young when we first moved here and my daughter was like my mom cooks all day long Because I work at night and then I work during the day and, you know, I never working when they were around. But that was also the time when I was complacent, when things were great. So, yeah. So that was. Yeah, I think it's like this whole six years is like a crash course in business. Yeah.
0: Well, and like you were saying, you know, uh, that you're, you're, you're making up for. What you didn't get in your formal studies and yes. uh, I'm glad that you have learned from mistakes you know I'm thankful yes. that you would would share them here and that you know, you've you've adapted and and, and figured things out uh, better better late than never you
1: know, yes, um, and I this is what exactly what why I want I launched Architect My Life. I have a Facebook group for creatives. It's called Architect My Life. I do a lot of live videos and I just talk about the, some mistakes and some, some business development strategies, how to get clients. I want to help, you know, women um, accelerate themselves and their businesses. Well, that's yeah. great.
0: So um, as we wrap up here, again, our guest has been Aya Schlachter. Um, the the program, and so she mentioned the Facebook group, Architect My Life. Um, you can also go on the web, architectmylife.com. And then final thing to ask you about, you are launching a podcast of the same name, Architect My Life. Is that right? Can you tell us yes, a little bit just, about the podcast?
1: So the podcast is really a platform for women architects and creatives to highlight their stories of success so they can share their journey to other women who are, Want to start a firm, and mostly it's it's more of of an entrepreneurial kind of podcast in the creative space, because this is what there's a gap between creative and business. So I hope to you know fill the gap in terms of helping people um, start their business through stories of success. Yeah,
0: well, that's great. So I uh, thank you for sharing your stories and and your lessons and your perspective. Um, kind of an accelerated, abbreviated business education, I think, for a lot of our listeners today. So again, our guest has been Aya Schlachter. Um, Thank you so much uh, for joining us today. really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Mark. Have a great day.
0: Thanks again to Aya Schlachter for being our guest today. For show notes, links to all of her projects and more, go to markgraben.com slash mistake8one. Thanks for listening. If it's your first time, please follow. If you like the podcast, please rate and review and share the episode with a friend or a colleague. And I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they've started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work, and they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, podcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.